0: The Preamble Part Eight of Laws by Plato, translated by Benjamin Jowett. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The singular passage in book seven, in which Plato describes life as a pastime, like many other passages in the laws, is imperfectly expressed two thoughts seem to be struggling in his mind first the reflection to which he returns at the end of the passage that men are playthings or puppets and that god only is the serious aim of human endeavours this suggests to him the afterthought that although playthings they are the playthings of the gods and that this is the best of them the cynical ironical fancy of the moment insensibly passes into a religious sentiment in another passage he says that life is a game of which god who is the player shifts the pieces so as to procure the victory of good on the whole or once more tragedies are acted on the stage but the best and noblest of them is the imitation of the noblest life which we affirm to be the life of our whole state again life is a chorus as well as a sort of mystery in which we have the gods for playmates men imagine that war is their serious pursuit and they make war that they may return to their amusements but neither wars nor amusements are the true satisfaction of men which is to be found only in the society of the gods in sacrificing to them and propitiating them like a christian ascetic plato seems to suppose that life should be passed wholly in the enjoyment of divine things and after meditating in amazement on the sadness and unreality of the world he adds in a sort of parenthesis be cheerful sirs parentheses, shakespeare tempest in one of the noblest passages of plato he speaks of the relation of the sexes natural relations between members of the same family have been established of old a little word has put a stop to incestuous connections but unnatural unions of another kind continued to prevail at crete and lacedaemon and were even justified by the example of the gods they too might be banished if the feeling that they were unholy and abominable could sink into the minds of men the legislator is to cry aloud and spare not let not men fall below the level of the beasts plato does not shrink like some modern philosophers from carrying on war against the mightiest lusts of mankind neither does he expect to extirpate them but only to confine them to their natural use and purpose by the enactments of law and by the influence of public opinion he will not feed them by an over luxurious diet nor allow the healthier instincts of the soul to be corrupted by music and poetry the prohibition of excessive wealth is as he says a very considerable gain in the way of temperance nor does he allow of those enthusiastic friendships between older and younger persons which in his earlier writings appear to be alluded to with a certain degree of amusement and without reproof compare introduction to the symposium sappho and anacreon are celebrated by him in the charmides and the phaedrus but they would have been expelled from the magnesian state yet he does not suppose that the rule of absolute purity can be enforced on all mankind something must be conceded to the weakness of human nature he therefore adopts a second legal standard of honourable and dishonourable having a second standard of right he would abolish altogether the connection of men with men as to women if any man has to do with any but those who come into his house duly married by sacred rites and he offends publicly in the face of all mankind we shall be right in enacting that he be deprived of civic honours and privileges but feeling also that it is impossible wholly to control the mightiest passions of mankind plato like other legislators makes a compromise the offender must not be found out decency if not morality must be respected in this he appears to agree with the practice of all civilized ages and countries much may be truly said by the moralist on the comparative harm of open and concealed vice nor do we deny that some moral evils are better turned out to the light because like diseases when exposed they are more easily cured and secrecy introduces mystery which enormously exaggerates their power a mere animal want is thus elevated into a sentimental ideal it may very well be that a word spoken in season about things which are commonly concealed may have an excellent effect but having regard to the education of youth, to the innocence of children, to the sensibilities of women, to the decencies of society, Plato and the world in general are not wrong in insisting that some of the worst vices, if they must exist, should be kept out of sight. This, though only a second-best rule, is a support to the weakness of human nature, there are some things which may be whispered in the closet but should not be shouted on the house top. it may be said of this as of many other things that it is a great part of education to know to whom they are to be spoken of and when and where book nine punishments of offences and modes of procedure come next in order we have a sense of disgrace in making regulations for all the details of crime in a virtuous and well-ordered state but seeing that we are legislating for men and not for gods there is no uncharitableness in apprehending that some one of our citizens may have a heart like the seed which has touched the ox's horn so hard as to be impenetrable to the law let our first enactment be directed against the robbing of temples no well-educated citizen will be guilty of such a crime but one of their servants or some stranger may and with a view to him and at the same time with a remoter eye to the general infirmity of human nature i will lay down the law beginning with a prelude to the intending robber we will say o oh, sir the complaint which troubles you is not human but some curse has fallen upon you inherited from the crimes of your ancestors of which you must purge yourself go and sacrifice to the gods associate with the good avoid the wicked and if you are cured of the fatal impulse well but if not acknowledge death to be better than life and depart these are the accents soft and low in which we address the would-be criminal and if he will not listen then cry aloud as with the sound of a trumpet whosoever robs a temple if he be a slave or foreigner shall be branded in the face and hands and scourged and cast naked beyond the border and perhaps this may improve him for the law aims either at the reformation of the criminal or the repression of crime no punishment is designed to inflict useless injury but if the offender be a citizen he must be incurable and for him death is the only fitting penalty his iniquity however shall not be visited on his children nor shall his property be confiscated as to the exaction of penalties any person who is fined for an offence shall not be liable to pay the fine unless he have property in excess of his lot for the lots must never go uncultivated for lack of means the guardians of the law are to provide against this if a fine is inflicted upon a man which he cannot pay or for which his friends are unwilling to give security he shall be imprisoned and otherwise dishonoured but no criminal shall go unpunished whether death or imprisonment or stripes or fines or the stocks or banishment to a remote temple be the penalty capital offences shall come under the cognizance of the guardians of the law and a college of the best of the last year's magistrates the order of suits and similar details we shall leave to the lawgivers of the future and only determine the mode of voting the judges are to sit in order of seniority and the proceedings shall begin with the speeches of the plaintiff and the defendant and then the judges beginning with the eldest shall ask questions and collect evidence during three days which at the end of each day shall be deposited in writing under their seals on the altar of hestia and when they have evidence enough after a solemn declaration that they will decide justly they shall vote and end the case the votes are to be given openly in the presence of the citizens next to religion the preservation of the constitution is the first object of the law the greatest enemy of the state is he who attempts to set up a tyrant or breeds plots and conspiracies not far below him in guilt is a magistrate either knowingly or in ignorance fails to bring the offender to justice any one who is good for anything will give information against traitors the mode of proceeding at such trials will be the same as at trials for sacrilege the penalty death but neither in this case nor in any other is the son to bear the iniquity of the father unless father grandfather great-grandfather have all of them been capitally convicted and then the family of the criminal are to be sent off to the country of their ancestor retaining their property with the exception of the lot and its fixtures and ten are to be selected from the younger sons of the other citizens one of whom is to be chosen by the oracle of delphi to be heir of the lot our third law will be a general one concerning the procedure and the judges in cases of treason as regards the remaining or departure of the family of the offender the same law shall apply equally to the traitor the sacrilegious and the conspirator a thief whether he steals much or little must refund twice the amount if he can do so without impairing his lot if he cannot he must go to prison until he either pays the plaintiff or in case of a public theft the city or they agree to forgive him but should all kinds of theft incur the same penalty you remind me of what i know that legislation is never perfect the men for whom laws are now made may be compared to the slave who is being doctored according to our old image by the unscientific doctor for the empirical practitioner if he chanced to meet the educated physician talking to his patient and entering into the philosophy of his disease would burst out laughing and say as doctors delight in doing foolish fellow instead of curing the patient you are educating him and would he not be right perhaps and he might add that he who discourses in our fashion preaches to the citizens instead of legislating for them true there is however one advantage which we possess that being amateurs only we may either take the most ideal or the most necessary and utilitarian view but why offer such an alternative as if all our legislation must be done to-day and nothing put off until the morrow we may surely rough hew our materials first and shape and place them afterwards that will be the natural way of proceeding there is a further point of all writings either in prose or verse the writings of the legislator are the most important for it is he who has to determine the nature of good and evil and how they should be studied with a view to our instruction and is it not as disgraceful for solon and lycurgus to lay down false precepts about the institutions of life as for homer and Tertius? the laws of states ought to be the models of writing and what is at variance with them should be deemed ridiculous and we may further imagine them to express the affection and good sense of a father or mother and not to be the fiats of a tyrant very true let us inquire more particularly about sacrilege theft and other crimes for which we have already legislated in part and this leads us to ask first of all whether we are agreed or disagreed about the nature of the honourable and just to what are you referring i will endeavour to explain all are agreed that justice is honourable whether in men or things and no one who maintains that a very ugly man who is just is in his mind fair would be thought extravagant very true but if honour is to be attributed to justice are just sufferings honourable or only just actions what do you mean our laws supply case in point for we enacted that the robber of temples and the traitor should die and this was just but the reverse of honourable in this way does the language of the many rend asunder the just and honourable that is true but is our own language consistent i have already said that the evil are involuntarily evil and the evil are the unjust now the voluntary cannot be the involuntary and if you too come to me and say then shall we legislate for our city of course i shall reply then will you distinguish what crimes are voluntary and what involuntary and shall we impose lighter penalties on the latter and heavier on the former or shall we refuse to determine what is the meaning of voluntary and involuntary and maintain that our words have come down from heaven and that they should be at once embodied in a law all states legislate under the idea that there are two classes of action the voluntary and the involuntary but there is great confusion about them in the minds of men and the law can never act unless they are distinguished either we must abstain from affirming that unjust actions are involuntary or explain the meaning of this statement believing then that acts of injustice cannot be divided into voluntary and involuntary i must endeavour to find some other mode of classifying them hurts are voluntary and involuntary but all hurts are not injuries on the other hand a benefit when wrongly conferred may be an injury an act which gives or takes away anything is not simply just but the legislator who has to decide whether the case is one of hurt or injury must consider the animus of the agent and when there is hurt he must as far as possible provide a remedy and reparation but if there is injustice he must when compensation has been made further endeavour to reconcile the two parties excellent where injustice like disease is remediable there the remedy must be applied in word or deed with the assistance of pleasures and pains of bounties and penalties or any other influence which may inspire man with the love of justice or hatred of injustice and this is the noblest work of law but when the legislator perceives the evil to be incurable he will consider that the death of the offender will be a good to himself and in two ways a good to society first as he becomes an example to others secondly because the city will be quit of a rogue and in such a case but in no other the legislator will punish with death there is some truth in what you say i wish however that you would distinguish more clearly the difference of injury and hurt and the complications of voluntary and involuntary you will admit that anger is of a violent and destructive nature certainly and further that pleasure is different from anger and has an opposite power working by persuasion and deceit yes ignorance is the third source of crimes this is of two kinds simple ignorance and ignorance doubled by conceit of knowledge the latter when accompanied with power is a source of terrible errors but is excusable when only weak and childish true we often say that one man masters and another is mastered by pleasure and anger just so but no one says that one man masters and another is mastered by ignorance you are right all these motives actuate men and sometimes drive them in different ways that is so now then i am in a position to define the nature of just and unjust by injustice i mean the dominion of anger and fear pleasure and pain envy and desire in the soul whether doing harm or not by justice i mean the rule of the opinion of the best whether in states or individuals extending to the whole of life although actions done in error are often thought to be involuntary injustice no controversy need be raised about names at present we are only desirous of fixing in our memories the heads of error and the pain which is called fear and anger is our first head of error the second is the class of pleasures and desires and the third of hopes which aim at true opinion about the best this latter falls into three divisions that is one when accompanied by simple ignorance two when accompanied by conceit of wisdom combined with power or three with weakness so that there are in all five and the laws relating to them may be summed up under two heads laws which deal with acts of open violence and with acts of deceit to which may be added acts both violent and deceitful and these last should be visited with the utmost rigour of the law very properly let us now return to the enactment of laws we have treated of sacrilege and of conspiracy and of treason any of these crimes may be committed by a person not in his right mind or in the second childhood of old age if this is proved to be the fact before the judges the person in question shall only have to pay for the injury and not be punished further unless he have on his hands the stain of blood in this case he shall be exiled for a year and if he return before the expiration of the year he shall be retained in the public prison for two years homicides may be divided into voluntary and involuntary and first of involuntary homicide he who unintentionally kills another man at the games or in military exercises duly authorized by the magistrates whether death follow immediately or after an interval shall be acquitted subject only to the purification required by the delphian oracle any physician whose patient dies against his will shall in like manner be acquitted any one who unintentionally kills the slave of another believing that he is his own with or without weapons shall bear the master of the slave harmless or pay a penalty amounting to twice the value of the slave and to this let him add a purification greater than in the case of homicide at the games if a man kill his own slave a purification only is required of him if he kill a free man unintentionally let him also make purification and let him remember the ancient tradition which says that the murdered man is indignant when he sees the murderer walk about in his own accustomed haunts and that he terrifies him with the remembrance of his crime and therefore the homicide should keep away from his native land for a year or if he have slain a stranger let him avoid the land of the stranger for a like period if he complies with this condition the nearest kinsman of the deceased shall take pity upon him and be reconciled to him but if he refuses to remain in exile or visits the temples unpurified then let the kinsman proceed against him and demand a double penalty the kinsman who neglects this duty shall himself incur the curse and any one who likes may proceed against him and compel him to leave his country for five years if a stranger involuntarily kill a stranger any one may proceed against him in the same manner and the homicide if he be a medic shall be banished for a year for if he be an entire stranger whether he have murdered medic citizen or stranger he shall be banished for ever and if he return he shall be punished with death and his property shall go to the next of kin of the murdered man if he come back by sea against his will he shall remain on the sea-shore wetting his feet in the water while he waits for a vessel to sail or if he be brought back by land the magistrate shall send him unharmed beyond the border next follows murder done with anger which is of two kinds either arising out of a sudden impulse and attended with remorse or committed with premeditation and unattended with remorse the cause of both is anger and both are intermediate between voluntary and involuntary the one which is committed from sudden impulse though not wholly involuntary bears the image of the involuntary and is therefore the more excusable of the two and should receive a gentler punishment the act of him who nurses his wrath in is more voluntary and therefore more culpable the degree of culpability depends on the presence or absence of intention to which the degree of punishment should correspond for the first kind of murder that which is done on a momentary impulse let two years exile be the penalty for the second that which is accompanied with malice prepense, 3. When the time of any one's exile has expired, the guardians shall send twelve judges to the borders of the land, who shall have authority to decide whether he may return or not. He who after returning repeats the offence shall be exiled and return no more, and if he return shall be put to death, like the stranger in a similar case. He who in a fit of anger kills his own slave shall purify himself, and he who kills another man's slave shall pay to his master double the value any one may proceed against the offender if he appear in public places not having been purified and may bring to trial both the next akin to the dead man and the homicide and compel the one to exact and the other to pay a double penalty if a slave kill his master or a freeman who is not his master in anger the kinsmen of the murdered person may do with the murderer whatever they please but they must not spare his life if a father or mother kill their son or daughter in anger let the slayer remain in exile for three years and on the return of the exile let the parents separate and no longer continue to cohabit or have the same sacred rights with those whom he or she has deprived of a brother or sister the same penalty is decreed against the husband who murders his wife and also against the wife who murders her husband let them be absent three years and on their return never again share in the same sacred rites with their children or sit at the same table with them nor is a brother or sister who have lifted up their hands against a brother or sister ever to come under the same roof or share in the same rites with those whom they have robbed of a child if a son feels such hatred against his father or mother as to take the life of either of them then if the parent before death forgive him he shall only suffer the penalty due to involuntary homicide but if he be unforgiven there are many laws against which he has offended he is guilty of outrage impiety sacrilege all in one and deserves to be put to death many times over for if the law will not allow man to kill the authors of his being even in self-defence what other penalty than death can be inflicted upon him who in a fit of passion wilfully slays his father or mother if a brother kill a brother in self-defence during a civil broil or a citizen a citizen or a slave a slave or a stranger a stranger let them be free from blame as he is who slays an enemy in battle but if a slave kill a freeman let him be as a parricide in all cases however the forgiveness of the injured party shall acquit the agents and then they shall only be purified and remain in exile for a year enough of actions that are involuntary or done in anger let us proceed to voluntary and premeditated actions the great source of voluntary crime is the desire of money which is begotten by evil education and this arises out of the false praise of riches common both among hellenes and barbarians they think that to be the first of goods which is really the third for the body is not for the sake of wealth but wealth for the body as the body is for the soul if this were better understood the crime of murder of which avarice is the chief cause would soon cease among men next to avarice ambition is a source of crime troublesome to the ambitious man himself as well as to the chief men of the state and next to ambition base fear is a motive which has led many in one to commit murder in order that he may get rid of the witnesses of his crimes let this be said as a prelude to all enactments about crimes of violence and the tradition must not be forgotten which tells that the murderer is punished in the world below and that when he returns to this world he meets the fate which he has dealt out to others if a man is deterred by the prelude and the fear of future punishment he will have no need of the law but in case he disobey let the law be declared against him as follows he who of malice prepense kills one of his kindred shall in the first place be outlawed neither temple harbour nor agora shall be polluted by his presence and if a kinsman of the deceased refuse to proceed against his slayer he shall take the curse of pollution upon himself and also be liable to be prosecuted by any one who will avenge the dead the prosecutor however must observe the customary ceremonial before he proceeds against the offender the details of these observances will be best determined by a conclave of prophets and interpreters and guardians of the law and the judges of the cause itself shall be the same as in cases of sacrilege he who is convicted shall be punished with death and not be buried within the country of the murdered person he who flies from the law shall undergo perpetual banishment if he return he may be put to death with impunity by any relative of the murdered man or by any other citizen or bound and delivered to the magistrates he who accuses a man of murder shall demand satisfactory bail of the accused and if this is not forthcoming the magistrate shall keep him in prison against the day of trial if a man commit murder by the hand of another he shall be tried in the same way as in the cases previously supposed but if the offender be a citizen his body after execution shall be buried within the land if a slave kill a free man either with his own hand or by contrivance let him be led either to the grave or to a place whence he can see the grave of the murdered man and there receive as many stripes at the hand of the public executioner as the person who took him pleases and if he survive he shall be put to death if a slave be put out of the way to prevent his informing of some crime his death shall be punished like that of a citizen if there are any of those horrible murders of kindred which sometimes occur even in well-regulated societies and of which the legislator however unwilling cannot avoid taking cognizance he will repeat the old myth of the divine vengeance against the perpetrators of such atrocities the myth will say that the murderer must suffer what he has done if he have slain his father he must be slain by his children if his mother he must become a woman and perish at the hands of his offspring in another age of the world such a preamble may terrify him but if notwithstanding in some evil hour he murders father or mother or brethren or children the mode of proceeding shall be as follows him who is convicted the officers of the judges shall lead to a spot without the city where three ways meet and there slay him and expose his body naked and each of the magistrates shall cast a stone upon his head and justify the city and he shall be thrown and buried beyond the border but what shall we say of him who takes the life which is dearest to him that is to say his own and this not from any disgrace or calamity but from cowardice and indolence the manner of his burial and the purification of his crime is a matter for god and the interpreters to decide and for his kinsmen to execute let him at any rate be buried alone in some uncultivated and nameless spot and be without name or monument if a beast kill a man not in a public contest let it be prosecuted for murder and after condemnation slain and cast without the border also inanimate things which have caused death except in the case of lightning and other visitations from heaven shall be carried without the border if the body of a dead man be found and the murderer remain unknown the trial shall take place all the same and the unknown murderer shall be warned not to set foot in the temples or come within the borders of the land if discovered he shall die and his body shall be cast out a man is justified in taking the life of a burglar of a footpad, of a violator of women or youth and he may take the life of another with impunity in defence of father mother brother wife or other relations the nurture and education which are necessary to the existence of men have been considered and the punishment of acts of violence which destroy life there remain maiming wounding and the like which admit of a similar division into voluntary and involuntary about this class of actions the preamble shall be whereas men would be like wild beasts unless they obeyed the laws the first duty of citizens is the care of the public interests which unite and preserve states as private interests distract them a man may know what is for the public good but if he have absolute power human nature will impel him to seek pleasure instead of virtue and so darkness will come over his soul and over the state if he had mind he would have no need of law for mind is the perfection of law but such a free man whom the truth makes free is hardly to be found and therefore law and order are necessary which are the second best and they regulate things as they exist in part only but cannot take in the whole for actions have innumerable characteristics which must be partly determined by the law and partly left to the judge the judge must determine the fact and to him also the punishment must sometimes be left what shall the law prescribe and what shall be left to the judge a city is unfortunate in which the tribunals are either secret and speechless or what is worse noisy and public when the people as if they were in a theatre clap and hoot the various speakers such courts a legislator would rather not have but if he is compelled to have them he will speak distinctly and leave as little as possible to their discretion but where the courts are good and presided over by well-trained judges the penalties to be inflicted may be in a great measure left to them and as there are to be good courts among our colonists we need not determine beforehand the exact proportion of the penalty and the crime returning then to our legislator let us indict a law about wounding which shall run as follows he who wounds with intent to kill and fails in his object shall be tried as if he had succeeded but since god has favoured both him and his victim instead of being put to death he shall be allowed to go into exile and take his property with him the damage due to the sufferer having been previously estimated by the court which shall be the same as would have tried the case if death had ensued if a child should intentionally wound a parent or a servant his master or brother or sister wound brother or sister with malice prepense the penalty shall be death if a husband or wife wound one another with intent to kill the penalty which is inflicted upon them shall be perpetual exile and if they have young children the guardians shall take care of them and administer their property as if they were orphans if they have no children their kinsmen male and female shall meet and after a consultation with the priests and guardians of the law shall appoint an heir of the house for the house and family belong to the state being a five thousand fortieth portion of the whole and the state is bound to preserve her families happy and holy. Therefore, when the heir of a house has committed a capital offense, or is in exile for life, the house is to be purified, and then the kinsmen of the house and the guardians of the law are to find out a family which has a good name, and in which there are many sons, and introduce one of them to be the heir and priest of the house. He shall assume the fathers and ancestors of the family, while the first son dies in dishonor, and his name is blotted out some actions are intermediate between the voluntary and involuntary those done from anger are of this class if a man wound another in anger let him pay double the damage if the injury is curable or fourfold if curable and at the same time dishonourable and fourfold if incurable the amount is to be assessed by the judges if the wounded person is rendered incapable of military service the injurer besides the other penalties shall serve in his stead or be liable to a suit for refusing to serve if brother wounds brother then their parents and kindred of both sexes shall meet and judge the crime the damages shall be assessed by the parents and if the amount fixed by them is disputed an appeal shall be made to the male kindred and in the last resort to the guardians of the law parents who wound their children are to be tried by judges of at least sixty years of age who have children of their own and they are to determine whether death or some lesser punishment is to be inflicted upon them no relatives are to take part in the trial if a slave in anger smite a free man he is to be delivered up by his master to the injured person if the master suspect collusion between the slave and the injured person he may bring the matter to trial and if he fail he shall pay three times the injury or if he obtain a conviction the contriver of the conspiracy shall be liable to an action for kidnapping he who wounds another unintentionally shall only pay for the actual harm done. In all outrages and acts of violence, the elder is to be more regarded than the younger. An injury done by a younger man to an elder is abominable and hateful, but the younger man who is struck by an elder is to bear with him patiently, considering that he who is twenty years older is loco parentis, and remembering the reverence which is due to the gods who preside over birth let him keep his hands too from the stranger instead of taking upon himself to chastise him when he is insolent he shall bring him before the wardens of the city who shall examine into the case and if they find him guilty shall scourge him with as many blows as he has given or if he be innocent they shall warn and threaten his accuser when an equal strikes an equal whether an old man an old man or a young man a young man let them use only their fists and have no weapons he who being above forty years of age commences a fight or retaliates shall be counted mean and base to this preamble let the law be added if a man smite another who is his elder by twenty years or more let the bystander in case he be older than the combatants part them or if he be younger than the person struck or of the same age with him let him defend him as he would a father or brother and let the striker be brought to trial and if convicted imprisoned for a year or more at the discretion of the judges if a stranger smite one who is his elder by twenty years or more he shall be imprisoned for two years and a medic in like case shall suffer three years imprisonment he who is standing by and gives no assistance shall be punished according to his class in one of four penalties amina fifty thirty twenty drachmas the generals and other superior officers of the army shall form the court which tries this class of offences laws are made to instruct the good and in the hope that there may be no need of them also to control the bad whose hardness of heart will not be hindered from crime the uttermost penalty will fall upon those who lay violent hands upon a parent having no fear of the gods above or of the punishments which will pursue them in the world below they are too wise in their own conceits to believe in such things wherefore the tortures which await them in another life must be anticipated in this let the law be as follows if a man being in his right mind dare to spite his father and mother or his grandfather and grandmother let the passer-by come to the rescue and if he be a medic or stranger who comes to the rescue he shall have the first place at the games or if he do not come to the rescue he shall be a perpetual exile let the citizen in the like case be praised or blamed and the slave receive freedom or a hundred stripes the wardens of the agora the city or the country as the case may be shall see to the execution of the law and he who is an inhabitant of the same place and is present shall come to the rescue or he shall fall under a curse if a man be convicted of assaulting his parents let him be banished for ever from the city into the country and let him abstain from all sacred rights and if he do not abstain let him be punished by the wardens of the country and if he return to the city let him be put to death if any freeman consort with him let him be purified before he returns to the city if a slave strike a freeman whether citizen or stranger let the bystander be obliged to seize and deliver him into the hands of the injured person who may inflict upon him as many blows as he pleases and shall then return him to his master the law will be as follows: The slave who strikes a free man shall be bound by his master and not set at liberty without the consent of the person whom he has injured. All these laws apply to women as well as to men. End of the Preamble part eight.